Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, everyone. This is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys. And on this week's podcast, Ben Galker and I talk about your 3-11 and 11 Detroit Pistons. Ben and I talk about Kay Cunningham's shin soreness that's going to keep him out for a couple of games, how Alec Burks and Marvin Bagley's return affects the Pistons' starting and bench units, and Jade Nivey making strides as a driver and a distributor. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. What's up, Ben? Laz, what's up, man? Not much. Uh, interesting, roughish week for our Detroit Pistons. Managed to get the win against OKC. Can't forget that. Um, so it did not go winless on the week, but it feels like that happened basically a week ago because it did um instead of complaining about the defense for like the fifth straight week i figured we'd talk about the rotations since they are kind of in flux first big piece of that is the news that um we got last night that Cade cunningham is going to miss uh he missed last night's game he missed the new york game and he's going to miss the next three games with uh shin soreness people were speculating it was shin splints uh, so yeah, Ben, Cade's going to be out for the next, for at least five games, for at least five games. Uh, what do you think will be different about the team? What, what changes when the, with this team when, uh, with no Cade? Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the initial thought is who in the world is going to generate dribble penetration and playmaking and all of that kind of stuff. Killing Hayes has answered the bell for, for two consecutive games, which is, which is fun to see. Um, the ball has continued to move offensively, at least, um, on the season. Pistons have averaged about 21 assists a game against the Knicks and Celtics, 22 assists, 23 assists. So guys have stepped up at least in the immediate short term. I'm not terribly surprised by that in the immediate short term. Cause I mean, anything can happen in two NBA games, right? It's over longer stretches of time. I think you, you tend to see absences affect teams right so a guy like Cade 
you know, a guy like Killian can step up for a couple games is over the longer term that I think key players tend to get missed uh, more significantly. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, Kate has carried so much weight for a season and change now that, um, you know, that that's where I look right away. Who, who's going to make plays? Who's going to run the offense? Killian stepped up for two games. Is he going to continue to do that for three, four, five games? That, that I think, is what remains to be seen. Yeah, I will be curious to see if this means um, a larger role for, like, Sadiq in particular, right? Sadiq is the clear guy in my mind who like who gets bumped up a level in terms of offensive importance with Kate out that didn't really happen in the Celtics game Sadiq had 10 points three of 13 from the field two of six from three um and so 13 shots like sure that sounds about right wasn't able to get to the free throw line as much as uh, we've been complimenting him about uh, over the last couple of weeks but yeah I was expecting more from from Sadiq from an individual offensive perspective right when we're answering the question like who's going to create shots on this team like Sadiq has shown his ability to at least get to the rim maybe not make those those playmaking ability maybe not like swing the ball around like Cade can but like if we're just looking for somebody who can get to the rim get in the paint make some shots get some free throws Sadiq could be that guy the other thing I think is that like okay Killian is going to start um or it looks like they're going to start Killian um, so that means Kojo is going to come off the bench. It's like, what is that bench lineup going to look like? We're adding more pieces to that bench lineup. Um, things looked very weird in the Celtics game in particular. And so, um, I'm, and a big thing with the bench was like, okay, like now if we have all of these pieces together, like how are they going to fit? They're going to need time and reps to integrate. And this is just throwing like another monkey wrench into that, right? Like, no, no Burks. Some nights going to be no Burks. Uh, Kojo is going to be in there, but in case come back, I presume no Kojo. It's just like things are just going to be in flux for a little bit. Um, this team is still a bad team. This team is not expected to win a whole bunch of games, but you would like to see the the chemistry and like the knowledge of how these guys operate together on the floor um, be strengthened. And that's going to be harder to do if the rotations continue to be kind of wonky because of injuries because of guys returning um alec burks though alec burks we did get some reinforcements though right like alec burks and marvin bagley are both back alec burks scored 17 points off the bench in his first game as a piston it was the weirdest quietest 17 points i've ever seen in my life but they're there on the box score i checked um and with the return of burks and bagley bagley did not have a great game against the Celtics, but they're also just like reintegrating him slowly. I think he played less than 20 minutes. He only had like five shots. It was like, that's sure. That's fine. Um, but Ben, for the last couple of weeks, we talked about the stagger to help shore up the bench, right? Uh, putting in a Sadiq, putting in a Jaden Ivy with like, un- with four other bench guys to keep those bench lineups afloat. Cause those bench lineups have been really struggling uh, to start the season. Um, now we have two more guys thrown into a 10 man rotation or a nine man rotation. That's 11 guys. Do you, do you continue to maintain the stagger in order to, you know, keep some semblance of offense afloat? Uh, Do you go full five man bench lineup so that uh, you're preserving these starters, these starting lineup with like without Kate Cunningham, like what, 
I don't know, Ben. Like, where, where, where do you want to go with with the starters and the and the bench? Like, now that we have everybody except Cade back. Yeah, I think a lot depends on Killian. If if he continues to shoot the ball at a, a somewhat reasonable rate, I think you continue to invest in his development. I mean, I'd I'd really love to see him put together a string of like 20 or 30 good games. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this has been three games. Three. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like let's multiply this by 10. Right. Um, I mean, I, I think they should continue to invest in his development to some degree anyway, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Alec Burks to me, you're right. It was a very quiet 17. I mean, six free throw attempts will do that. I mean, he shot poorly from behind the arc to be expected, getting your legs back, all that kind of stuff. Hopefully he shores up some of the defense for the second unit. I mean, they've really struggled to defend. I think they've just gotten blown off the court a few different times, and the starters have just been unable to bridge the gap. But, yeah, I mean, offensively, hopefully he can keep that unit afloat a little bit in the backcourt. That's where Killian, I think, has really struggled. I'd be fine if he takes Kojo's minutes, and then if, you know, Killian really starts to struggle offensively, you know, if you're trying to win games, throw Kojo in there to, you know, give a little bit of offense. I, I think that's okay. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, that's how I, I think I would approach it. I think, you know, we might talk about Hami in a minute. It'll be interesting to see if he maybe drops out of the rotation with with Bagley back. But I think if you assume a fully healthy lineup, I think the need to stagger guys is probably gone. I mean, if, if Burks plays like the guy he's been his whole career – he's a quality rotation player, right? If, if Bagley plays like the guy he was a season ago in Detroit, um, not the guy he was necessarily in Sacramento, but the guy he was a season ago in Detroit, he's a rotation caliber big. And I don't, I don't think you need to worry too much about staggering your big drives. So I, I think a fully healthy rotation, you're right. I don't think it's a winning team, but at least you have a competitive backcourt and a competitive frontcourt and you're not having to juggle everything just to maintain some semblance of, you know, five guys on the court at all times who aren't going to get run off the court at all, you know, yeah. regardless of what, what your rotation is, right? So with Bagley back in the rotation and the Boston was like missing like Robert Williams and Al Horford, like they started Blake Griffin. That's not what they want to do. Like Noah Vonley played like 15 minutes, but they still managed to like win the battle on the glass, which is something mm-hmm. that we really haven't yeah. been able to say about them lately. Um, and we saw in the preseason, like the game Marvin Bagley got hurt against OKC, they put him in the starting lineup next to Isaiah Stewart. Um, so what do you think of eventually, because Bagley's clearly not like a hundred percent yet, but we have talked a bunch about how much they have spoken, the front office and the coaching staff has spoken about wanting to play two bigs. Obviously, that moves somebody off the starting lineup onto the bench. Um, James Edwards III of The Athletic, uh, he had a mailbag earlier last week, talked about um, his gut was telling him that it would be Bojan who'd be moved to the bench. I'm not a huge fan of that. Wanted to get your thoughts on that. But first, like, what do you think of just the, the two big starting lineup now that it looks like it might actually happen with Marvin Bagley back? Yeah, I mean, it, well, demoting Boyan would be rough because, I mean, he's been their most consistent and deadly scorer. I mean, I don't even think it's close. Like, he's clearly been their best scorer. And you just re-upped him, right? Um, yeah. 
moving to the bench would be rough. I mean, I think he'd handle it like a pro. I mean, the downside with Boyan is he's not a good defender and he doesn't rebound. So when you have him at the four, you're, you're losing defensively and you're losing rebounding. So you get immediate wins. Um, I mean, as weird as it is to say, Bagley's a better defender probably, and he's a better rebounder. So you get that win. And then I think the main argument for Bagley is from a developmental perspective for Cade, I think you get the strong argument that Cade's most efficient offensive stretch last season when Bagley was on the floor, he was clearly a more effective scorer. His true shooting numbers were just better. Um, and it was largely, I think, about having that pick-and-roll threat where you had a guy who could, who could get up and finish around the mm-hmm. rim. And so I, I think it's largely a philosophical sort of conversation, right? What are you trying to accomplish this year? It's not going to be about winning. So are you trying to develop Cade and, um, you know, figure out what sort of a player he's going to be and what sort of a roster you want to put around him? And if it's between Sadiq and it's between Boyan, are you, you trying to long-term develop Sadiq at the three? Or are you trying to, you know, throw a guy who can score a bunch of points, but it's not part of your long-term projections in, in Boyan at the three and, and can Boyan even defend threes? I'm not, I'm not sure he can't really defend threes or fours particularly well. Right. So, I mean, it, it would feel weird to me to throw Boyan on the bench because he just gets buckets and my goodness, do they need buckets, but that, you know, you're going to lose games either way. So, I mean, it, it kind of comes back to this thing that we've been talking about all season, Les, which is no matter how you shuffle the cards, you have weaknesses, right? So it's mm-hmm. all about trade-offs. It's, it's which weaknesses are you willing to live with in any given permutation of, of the, the, the rotation, right? Like you're, you're going to have a weakness somewhere and somebody's going to be unhappy and you're probably not going to be very good no matter how you, you, you stack the deck. Yeah, I know when, like when you were talking about how Bogey's not a four and he's maybe not able to defend threes, it's like, yeah, well, Marvin Bagley is not, he's a better, he's a much better rebounder than Boyan, but he also like has not been the best defensive uh, operator we've seen. Uh, he did have a nice block yeah. uh, against Boston, but that was like a putback situation where it's like three dudes around and like he's just the one that gets it. Um, I didn't think he was. I didn't think he was any worse than the bench had already been against yeah. Boston. Right. And so I guess like there's something to say for that. We have complained about the rebounding over the last couple of weeks and uh, how you know possessions don't end until you secure the rebound, and Bagley would definitely help with that. But yeah, I mean, I I'm I'm really curious to see how this plays out because. You talked about like philosophically, like you're going to have weaknesses somewhere on the roster because this is a bad team, because this is a um, a team that's not exactly like full of two way guys. It's like when like Brady Fredrickson at Detroit Bad Boys has been like on this for like a while. It's like the next big piece for the Pistons is going to have to be like a Jeremy Grant. Not, and I know they just left Jeremy Grant go, but like they're going to need that like do it all for who can who can shoot from the perimeter and handle the team, handle the other team's like best perimeter player from a defensive standpoint. We saw, you know, uh, against Boston, the second game, Jason Tatum absolutely tore them up because um, they didn't have anybody who, they didn't have anybody aside from Killian and Killian's, you know, three inches shorter and uh, 15 pounds lighter than Jason Tatum. Um, 
And so they didn't have anybody who could really make those perimeter guys um, afraid or pick up their dribble even. You just saw saw Tatum just like jab-stepping guys into oblivion before putting up a three and making it. Um, And like Bagley doesn't help that in particular. And like that's not even his fault, right? Like as a big, you don't expect him to be able to defend wings. And so the Pistons still need somebody who can defend wings on the perimeter. And I don't know that like solve I don't know that starting a too big rotation makes them better against the that thing that they're already like really weak at defensively. Maybe it shores up some other stuff defensively with the rebounding, a little bit of rim protection, you hope. But uh but yeah, like you said, it's just it's just trade offs. It's just different defensive holes you're trying to plug. It's uh it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see. And as far as bullion off the bench like I, I agree that he would probably handle it like a pro, but I personally just dislike divorcing Cade from our best shooter. Like that does not seem uh, like the, that doesn't seem like good development on his part. Yes, he was really effective with Boyan or with uh with Bagley on the floor last season. Like yes, I do think that he needs a lob threat in order to be uh, the best offensive uh, talent he can be. But that lob threat needs space around them so that they're not just trying to like throw the ball into three defenders because everyone's packing the paint. So yeah. I, yeah, good. Also, like Kate Ivy Bay, Bagley Stewart, like, okay, Stu, I'll talk about Stu at the end of the pod, but like he's been shooting the ball well recently, but I don't think he's enough to. Teams still aren't playing him Correct. like he's a shooter. Exactly. So you've got two bigs, they're going to pack the paint. Mm-hmm. Sadiq, command some respect, but he's not shooting the ball well mm-hmm. this season. From three, anyway. He's shooting the ball well from two, but not from three. Ivy is streaky. So you've basically got... And well, Kate's, and Kate is, you know, 30% from three himself. So. 28, 27, right? So, I mean, you've got five non-shooters. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. And Kate's still, you know, top 15 in the NBA and drawing double teams. I'm not really sure how that's going to help space the floor for Cade. So I, I don't know. That just feels like you're swapping one problem for another. I, I don't, I just don't love, I don't love the look of that starting five. I don't, you got to have another shooter out there. I think otherwise you're just, they're just going to pack the paint. I don't, it's the same problem you had before you acquired Bagley last season to me. Yeah. And then like the, the other problem, right. Is if you're running like a Cade, Ivy Bay Boyan Bagley starting lineup is like well now you've like swapped out your like best perimeter big man <laughs> yeah. and rebounder for Marvin Bagley it's like you've gotten even worse defensively yeah. and not perhaps added as much well you've added a lob threat right and that's a very again that's a very important offensive element but yeah it's not it's not everything so it's like yeah we are we are just patching holes on the mm-hmm. Titanic man this is not this is not great but um I'm curious to see how this all plays out though. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this is going to be, it's going to be weird. So, okay. So Marvin Bagley and Alec Burks are back. Dwayne Casey plays. He's been playing nine guys. We talked about the stagger. We, there's no need to stagger anymore. Um, there are 11 guys in the rotation now. Um, Cade's hurt. It was like, okay, we'll talk about how the, we expect the rotation to go. Like when Cade is healthy. And we're assuming we just we just talked about it. 
we're assuming they're going to go with two bigs and that Boyan is going to come off the bench because that's what James Edwards III's gut tells him as much as we don't like it. So that would make the starting lineup Cade, Ivy, Bay, Bagley, Stewart. It's like, okay, that I don't love it, but I, I see the theory behind it. So that makes the bench Killian, Alec Burks, Boyan, Blank, Durin. Like who, who should that blank be, Ben? So I think there's two options, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's probably between Hami and Livers. Mm-hmm. And so to me, Livers is the better of the two players right now. Um, I don't think either guy has been dynamite this season, but I, I feel like Livers has been better. Um this blew me away today. I think I've always known this, but it just shocked me when I was looking things up this morning before we recorded. Livers is actually older than Hamadou by three days. Wait, really? Yeah. <laughs> by three days. Even though Hami's been in the league for several years. I, yeah. Three Hami's had a second deal already. Wow. I know. That's wild, right? Um, you know, Livers stayed in school for several years. Um, anyway. So I, I think I would probably give the nod to Livers because of the shooting. Um, Hami gives you, you know, the athleticism and the run in transition and all of that kind of stuff. But the shooting is so bad. And, you know, he's worse. He's not shooting the ball any better than last year. It's actually quite a bit worse. And I don't know. I just don't see that ever improving. So I would probably give the nod to Livers. Um but I, I, you know, neither one of those guys is really a four, right? I mean, yeah. you're th- you're throwing either one of them out of position, and you're hoping that Dern's manchildness can sort of compensate, I guess, and or maybe Boyan is your def- default four there defensively. I'm not sure. Either way, you you still have the same problems with Boyan as a three or a four yeah. in either unit. Um, so I think I probably give the nod to Livers. Um, Unless maybe you try to feature Hami a little bit until the trade deadline and then you may maybe try to move on from him. I'm I'm not sure. I just feel like with Hami, like you you gave him the chance to probably try to shoot his way into the rotation. And to me, he just I don't know, he he just hasn't gotten there. I mean, I give him a lot of credit because he's played his way out of the doghouse a couple different times and he's like energized the second unit a handful of different times, but Maybe there's a different team that doesn't need shooting so desperately where he fits, but I just feel like this this team needs to put the ball in the basket so badly, and he just hasn't done it. So that's that's for me. I give the not delivers. The thing that I keep coming back to because like normally I would just flat agree with you, like yes, it should be livers. The thing that makes it close for me is that like this is like the second or third time I've just like completely counted Hami out and there are some nights where it's not good. There was a sequence last night where um, like in semi transition, it's like three, it's like three on two and Hami is just like guarding nobody. And because he's guarding nobody on the left side of the floor, like Marcus smart gets a wide open transition three and you can just see like, like nothing is happening in his head at, at times. And it's just like, I don't know what he's doing. But at the same time, um, the there are some nights where he's just the he's the best bench player they have because he's just able to create so much 
uh, chaos and leverage his athleticism and just do things that like nobody else in the roster besides Ivy can even like dream of doing offensively and defensively. And uh, yeah, so I, I want to give Hami his due because he's absolutely been an important part of this Pistons team, like through the 15 games or whatever they've played so far. But Livers is a better shooter. We've talked about that. Um, Livers doesn't really offer much besides his shooting, but his shooting is so good that um, that like that's that's fine enough from an offensive perspective. The other thing I will say that is that Livers is a much better defensive communicator than Hami is. Right, like you can see Livers talking. You can see um, there was a stretch last night against Boston where you could see like Livers and Killian like pointing, like getting everybody else like in position to defend and semi-transition. Like that stuff matters. That stuff is really important. Um, Livers is not the best like individual defender. You guys can still get by him, but he's like, he's made some nice defensive plays. Uh, he had like a nice block in the Knicks game. Yeah. That's and right. so I, I do think, I do think Livers should play more often than Hami, but like there, there are going to be nights where the team comes out flat and you're going to need Hami's like Mountain Dew, like sugar rush <laughs> energy for for this team to like get back in it. And so I don't want to uh, just like completely discard what Hami brings to the table in this discussion. But yeah, it probably just should be livers. It's like, yeah, Hami is like Mountain Dew and livers is like <laughs> water, right? Like you, it's like one of them tastes better than the other, but you kind of need one to live. So <laughs> yeah, there you yeah. go. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> man. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Where, oh, where was I? Oh, Cade. Cade. Okay. Uh, Cade, yeah. Cade's out for the last or the next three games like we talked about. He had maybe his worst game of his career against Boston earlier this week. And then it was like, okay, yes, he's, he's injured. Uh, that's why maybe he had his worst game of the year, but he was also like instrumental in the win against OKC uh, had a really bad first half. If I remember correctly, came back, orchestrated the, um, it wasn't a comeback. They like had the lead, but like orchestrated their, their offense and defense down the stretch of that OKC game um, created for himself, created for his teammates, made things happen. Um, Kate's have a, a very uneven week, which is typical of a very uneven season. If if we do the Kate discussion, Ben, are we gonna say anything new, or are we just gonna like repeat ourselves for what we said for the last three weeks? Yeah, I don't have anything new on Cade. If it is shin splints, like those are horrible, especially if they're bad. If you've ever had them badly, like I don't know how anyone could play basketball with with bad shin splints. They are absolutely debilitating, and the only way to get them better is to rest. Just like and, rest, right? Yeah, yeah, and if you don't rest all the way, they come back. So rest get get right because they're awful and people people if you've never had them people are like oh it's just shin splints like why can't you just play through it no they're they're terrible like go google it and go look at what the images of what they actually are and you'll never 
make fun of anyone for having shin splints again because they're awful. So if that's what they actually are, he needs to rest and get healthy because you, you can't play through them. You just can't. Can you can you rehab through them? Like is is there is there I like I the shin doesn't get a lot of like blood flow, right? So like so there's you... there's uh there's a couple m- exercises you can do for the muscles that are attached to the bones to help to some degree, but you can also overdo it. So mm, yeah. yeah, you have to rest. You got to rest. Yeah, I think it's it's good that. Uh, they're going to give him the space to rest. Like he's he's too important to try and play through some shin splints. But uh, it's not good that this is happening. Like right as they're about to go on a six game West Coast road trip, in which uh they were already going to have a lot of trouble. Um, I wonder if do you think the shin splints could be affecting his shot? We talked a lot talked a little bit at first at the beginning of the season how he didn't have enough arc on his shot he seemed to have resolved that a little bit um but he's still obviously shooting like you were mentioning like 27 28 from three could shin splints affect his lift and like that be a partial reason why he's not shooting as effectively from three as we would like him to so that would surprise me i mean to me shin splints would have more to do with um, acceleration and they would have more to do with drive and they would have more to do with lift around the rim. It would really surprise me if they would have more to do with like, you know, cause a lot of his threes have been set shots. He hasn't taken a, to me, I'd have to look at the numbers, but my impression is he hasn't taken as many threes off the dribble this year. Mm-hmm. He seemed to take a lot more mid ring shots off the yeah. dribble this year. Yeah. Um, so that would be surprising to me. Um, I guess we don't even know for sure that it's shin splints, but yeah, if it's, I, if it's I, shin soreness, like yeah, what, like, what else what could else, it? Be? What else would it be? Yeah, I, I mean that would be surprising to me. Like it, it really, it would. As someone who's had them, like it would be surprising to me that your jumper, like your your, because really it's a set. Kate has a set shot. If he, it's a catch and shoot shot, it's a set shot, and it would be surprising to me that shin splints would have anything, any impact on that. Honestly, okay. I mean, like, it's something I was curious about. I, I've had shin splints like once when I was doing cross country, and like I was not trying to shoot a basketball, but like walking was like not fun, right? right? So, yeah, I, I, I wondered. I was, uh, I was curious. Okay, um, Jaden Ivey, in in the absence of Cade Cunningham, uh, Jaden Ivey has had a really good week actually for this Pistons team. He had. Uh, he had a career-high 26 points against Boston in their second game. But I was more impressed with his first game against Boston in Boston. That was his best game from a like decision-making and efficiency standpoint um, in my mind. I like the plays he's made for others lately. I like that um, it seems like him and Killian have a have a working dynamic that's like it's a little bit my turn your turn but because both of those guys are uh willing to facilitate it seems to be working for both of them um yeah i've been i've been really impressed with Jaden ivy this week ben yeah i thought he's played well um i thought he played really well against boston that's the game mm-hmm. that's most fresh in my mind obviously that was last night um it's good to see him uh refine his three-point stroke as as well in the mm-hmm. second game 
Yeah, I mean, streaky is what you called him, I think, early on. Might have even been preseason when you called him that. I think that's right. I think that's, you know, consistency from the three-point line is going to be what I think he needs to find effectively over the course of his career. Um, but that's certainly where he's at right now. When the three ball is falling, I mean, it, it opens up everything else for him off the dribble, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I thought he played really well against Boston. I think the thing that he I've been impressed with him of late is um, finding – more than one speed, right? So I, I think yes. he's been good yes. in the pick and roll at slowing down. Like, so after he goes around the initial screen, kind of slowing down, getting the fender on his hip or on his back. Like, so quickly getting around the scene, the screen, pausing for, you know, that half a second to get the defender on his hip. And then when it's been Isaiah Stewart, you know, Stu's been doing a good job of setting the second or highway screen. And then, uh, Ivy's been doing a good job of then turning on the Jets again and getting all the way to the rim. So I think um, a, a good sign of growth from Ivy has been pausing for a second rather than just exploding all the way through and getting himself into no man's land, which we've been critical of, right? Because that's been leading to turnovers and bad passes and that kind of stuff. So already a sign of growth, which is, I think, a good thing for a young guard. Just this few games into the season, he's recognizing and, and growing that he can't just run through everybody. He's got to pause and take stock of the defense and, and make a read, which I, I think is good. Uh, the Boston game, yeah, I agree with you. I think that was his best game, not just because he scored 26, but I think, um, you know, he was patient. I think you're right to point out he's doing a good job of um, picking his spots, recognizing when it's his turn, so to speak, and when it, it's someone else's turn. I think I was noticing this with Bojan as well. I think he was doing a good job of reading when um, – it was kind of Boyan's turn, so to speak. You know, it was a play for Boyan versus a play for him. You know, he and Kate are going to have to figure this out over the long term. I think when you've got a point guard who's as active as Cade with the ball and a, a guy like Jaden who's so accustomed to always having the ball, they're going to have to figure that out as well. But definitely signs of, I think, real signs of growth, right? Not just, you know, randomly having a good game, but I think some real signs of growth from Jaden Ivy over the last couple. Yeah, I think... I think that might be part of the reason why he works so well with Killian is because Killian is far uh, more comfortable giving the ball up and like doing other stuff on offense. Um, and so that allows Jaden to have the ball in his hands a little bit more and get into the rhythm and flow of the game a little bit more. Um, Ivy still has some really bad turnovers. Uh, Marcus Smart, Defensive player of the year, the mess out of Jaden Ivy like three times in that second <laughs> Boston game. And it's just like that, that comes with experience. That stuff's yeah. going to happen. Smart does that to superstars. Like it is what it is. Um, but you're right, Ben. The, the patience and change of pace has been uh, much improved from Jaden Ivy like over these last uh, couple of games. And I hope we see him continue to, to build on that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I've been it's like uh the other thing I'll say is that Ivy has been not still not great defensively, but you can see him much like Hamadou, you can see him do uh like what's it called? When when the you can see him gamble effectively. Mm -hmm. And because he's so athletic, he can get away with the gambles. But um and like sometimes I make stuff happen, and I like he deserves credit for that as well. Um, he's I think he's averaging like a steal and a half per game, um, 
and like I that's and giving him opportunities to get out in transition as well is is going to be key. Um, yeah, I'll be. I've been I've been really impressed with Jaden Ivy this week. Uh, we we talked a little bit about the rotation and the potential changes with the two big lineup. Um, as someone whose best skill is just getting into the paint and uh, and trying to finish and drawing fouls and and making plays for others out of there, how do you feel about Jaden Ivy operating in a in a two big lineup, Ben? Well, I'm anxious to see how contingent it is on shooters. I mean, Jaden's so fast. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, one of the things about Cade is that Cade is Cade is much more smooth and tactful and slow is not the right word because he's not slow. Mm-hmm. But you know, Jaden is like Yeah, deliberate. There you go. Yeah. Jaden is just like blink of an eye and he's at the rim, right? So like I don't I don't know if his penetration is going to be as contingent on having three floor spacers out there. So I'm I'm going to I don't know right now. I don't have I don't feel like I have an instinct about that. I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to be very curious to see how how dependent he's going to be on having a lot of floor space because I think I lean toward him not necessarily needing a lot of space to get to the rim because he's just so fast that I I think and plus, I think defenders are playing him for that anyway, that it probably doesn't, you know, defenders are going to play him for the drive regardless of the floor spacing out there or not. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's going to be something to watch, right? So I, I think we should be watching it. If they go to the Bagley, Stu, or Stu Duran or whatever the Twin Towers lineup they throw out there, like, I think it'll be something to watch, but I'm not sure. I feel like I have a strong read on it yet. The thing that makes me a little encouraged about that is that that is basically what he was operating with in college. Mm, okay. And so he has a lot of experience. He's like, okay, I am driving into the lane. I am fast. Three people are looking at me. Like I'm going to dump the ball off. And like you have and big man, whoever you are, like you have an open lane, mm-hmm. um, like eight feet. And in. he has a lot of experience doing that. And so I am, not as worried, but it is going to have to come down to like a decision making making process thing, right? Is is he going to predetermine what he's going to do when he just like scoops the ball up at the free throw line, or is he going to like take that extra dribble, get the defenders to commit, and then like or or not commit and and make the decision uh, after the defense has like kind of revealed itself a little bit? But his decision making has been good, and so I. I am confident that he'll continue to improve that decision making and make the best out of whatever like cramped floor spacing uh, he's got. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. What one thing I liked this week, I don't want to do this every single time (laughs) he has like a half decent stretch, but Killian has a had a half decent stretch this week. He's going to be the starter with uh, Kate out for the next couple of games. Ben is like okay. It's like we're 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 level setting expectations for Killian. It's like where where do you think uh, he looks like? Where do you think he plays like as a starter for like these next couple of games? So I kind of made a joke on Twitter. Like, it was kind of like Cade I saw Light. that, and I was like, oh god, <laughs> Cade Light stat line. Like he kind of got like a point per shot, and but then he kind of stuffed the stat sheet everywhere else. Like right, like 
bunch of assists, bunch of rebounds, kind of too many turnovers, but like kind of on the brink, right? Like not quite too many, but maybe one more than you'd like. So relatively inefficient scoring, but not so bad. Like if you're grading on the Killian curve, but then stuff the stat sheet everywhere else, right? Like that's kind of what Cade has been doing in his first season in change, right? Like, so for Killian, like, that's okay. Like if he takes 12 shots and gives you 12 points and then manages the offense. Okay. Stuffs the stat sheet and plays defense. Like if he does that for the next three or four games, while Kate is out and then manages to do that off the bench with the second unit for the next 10 or 20 games. Like, I feel like, okay, that would be a sign of growth. And people might be encouraged sticking another offseason into Killian in hopes that maybe that's really weird, awkward jump shot that he's sort of <laughs> reconstructing. Like, you know, maybe there's some hope here that he yeah. can put some of this offensive stuff together and get from, you know, basement dweller efficiency to to something resembling a backup point guard. So, yeah, that that's what I'm going to hope for the next little little bit of time but i agree it it's got to be more than three games it's it, it's just got to be you know yeah. 10 20 30 games of consistently solid play yeah the thing with killian is like before there was no efficiency and no production mm-hmm. right yeah. and now we are seeing over these last couple of games there is some production and the efficiency is still bad <laughs> and so it's like, okay, can we maintain some baseline level of production? And it's like, if yes, we will worry about the efficiency later. Yeah. But for now, that's fair. Yeah. You need you it's like you need a point. Uh, if he's going to start, you cannot have like a two point six assist performance from your point guard. You need like a twelve point six assist baseline from your starting point guard. And and off the bench, like we can we can if you get that to like eight and five. Like, sure, that's fine. But, like, you can't score three points a night and be efe- and be effective as an NBA rotation player. Mm-hmm. And he seems to have figured a little something out. Boston was absolutely not guarding him mm-hmm. in that second game. Like, Blake Griffin's, like, playing below the free throw line. <laughs> Blake Griffin was guarding him, which is wild. <laughs> it was like, that's, that's what you do, right? You put your big on a non-shooter and wild. just, like, make the non-shooter shoot. Yeah. And Killian took he took the shots. Yeah. Um, he made some of them. Yeah. He didn't make he didn't make all of them. We had he had some bad misses. We saw a couple air balls. But if teams are going to play him as a complete non entity offensively, he needs to be able to at least like take those shots and make some of them. The thing that made it's like I was like uh, I was feeling good about his performance in the second Boston game. And then there was one possession in the fourth quarter where the ball got swung to him and he was like wide open for a three and like the defense like didn't even react. And I was like, uh, he was like, I, I don't feel good about him taking this three despite the night he's had. And he took like, he took a couple of dribbles, wandered in and like nailed like an 18 footer. And I feel much, much better about him shooting in the mid range than I do him shooting from three right now. I feel like he... Uh, he worries less about that weird form when he's shooting in the mid-range versus uh, from three. And so if defenses are just completely ignoring him and he's able to take wide-open 18-footers um, and he feels comfortable doing that, like, I'm I'm totally fine with it. But, the, but like I mentioned, it's like you just need some 
baseline level of production from your point guard, and he has to hit that that threshold, absolutely. All right, Ben, what I didn't love this week was Sadiq Bey's perimeter shooting. He is down to 30.8% from three on the season, despite having a 60% true shooting percentage. Like, a lot of a lot of his production is coming from the free throw line and off of these drives. And while I am appreciative of that, of him developing that aspect of his game, it's like he's he's got to shoot better from three um, in order to like in order to balance the floor in a way that makes a lot of sense for this Pistons team. Um, he still has one or fewer made three in half the games, seven out of 14 games that he's played this season. Um, ben, like, am, am I going, like, Sadiq Bay like, makes me go crazy because, like, he, he fills up this, the stat sheet, but he hasn't been good defensively and he can't shoot or he hasn't been able to shoot lately. So, like, where, where, where do we do with Sadiq? Yeah, it's been a weird evolution of his career, right? I mean, yeah. After his rookie season, we're thinking, okay, 3 and D plus is what you're kind of hoping for. Then after his sophomore season, it's, okay, he's got the plus part, but where did the 3 go? (laughs) And now it's like, okay, we've got the plus part, but we don't have the 3. And then now the D is going? Like, what? where are we going here with with Sadiq's evolution? So, yeah, I I think definitely he's trying to, to find himself. He's also sort of... Definitely the fourth option, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the stats bear this out. He's fourth for field goal attempts per 100 possessions um, with Ivy's emergence. And, of course, Boyan is, is taking a lot of shots. So his role has changed every season. Um, efficiency is still high, which is surprising. I think he deserves credit for maintaining some of that efficiency as his role continues to evolve and change every season. But you're right, the three-point shooting – He's he's got to be a better shooter for him to carve out his niche in the NBA. Whether it's with the Pistons or elsewhere, he's if he's the three four tweener guy, like he, you know, I think the days of the Marcus Morris mid post, you know, come off the bench and be an efficient two point guy, but never shoot the three. I, I don't know that those guys are gonna continue to have big minutes in the NBA. So I I, I really think he's got to figure out the three point shot because. To go shoot 38% from three as a rookie and then never do that again, I, that just feels like that That doesn't make any sense that that would be a fluke to me. Like that three-point shot has to be there somewhere. Um, it, it, it just doesn't I, – I can't believe that's a total fluke. So yeah. it, it's got to be there somewhere, and I, 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 can't, I can't explain it. I can't, I can't explain it. Maybe someone in the comments or someone on Twitter can help us understand because it doesn't make sense to me. It might just be he's streaky, right? We talked a little bit about, about Jaden Ivey streakiness. Sadiq might just be similarly streaky. This is something that I've thought about um, in particular because, you know, he has a lot of games where he hits like four or five threes, and he has a lot of games where he hits one or fewer threes. And, like, to me, it's like that that is the mark of a streaky shooter. So, yeah, a lot, but a lot of credit to him for being, what, fourth on the team in field goal attempts per 100 possessions, like you mentioned. But still maintaining his efficiency because he's getting to the line so much. If you are fourth in the team in shots and you're still like getting to the line as consistently and making as many free throws as he is, like that is, that is a really good, like his lack of perimeter shooting is like a good problem to have from your fourth option. And so I was like, okay, we'll, we'll take it. But 
Sadiq, if you could just shoot like 37% from three again, like that would be great. Like, please, that'd make me happy. All right. What, what's been on your mind, Ben, as we, uh, as we head towards the end of this podcast? So I'm, I'm going to show some, some love for beef stew, some Isaiah Stewart, uh, some love for his offense. So a couple weeks ago, I was pretty critical of him offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, his, his game's always going to be limited. He's not an above the rim player and that limits what he can do offensively. Um, but look, over the last nine, nine games, he's been quietly very effective, particularly from three-point range. He's 12 for 30. That's not high volume over nine games, but it's also not nothing. That's a little over three attempts a game, and it's 40%. So that that's also not nothing, right? So um, is that enough to force defenses to guard him? No, not yet. But it's something. <laughs> and... <laughs> I'd like to see that volume increase a little bit against the Celtics. He took a couple shots, just no hesitation, very comfortably. And they were completely pure, like no hesitation, perfect follow through all net. I'd like to see now that he's percentages are are ticking up a little bit. Maybe it's time to see that volume tick up a little bit as well. So 12 for 30 over the last nine games, that's 40%. Maybe we can find a way to to challenge that volume a little bit, see if this efficiency is for real. The second thing I'm going to give him a little bit credit for that I hinted at when we were talking about Jaden Ivey, I think there's some nice chemistry here developing. I've noted it in a couple different games. He's doing a really good job as Ivey has developed this change of pace, right? This little bit of a hesitation coming off the ball screen, setting that second highway screen particularly with Ivy. I've noticed it a few different times. Look, we've we've longed for a lob threat for our guards in the pick and roll, and Stu is not that. But the thing he does really well is set that highway screen. And that's resulted in a number of just completely wide open, unchallenged looks for Ivy at the rim. And uh, those don't show up in the stat sheet anywhere. So Stu's never going to get any statistical credit for that. But uh, it, it shows up in the shooting percentages for Ivy, particularly around the rim. So, uh, you know, Stu did this with Cade. It developed last year. He's also developing this with Ivy. I've noted it a couple different times over the, the last couple of games this week. Uh, so, so credit to Stu. Uh, I, I noted this on Twitter this week, and, and some, I think it was Keith. Keith Black pointed out he's got to do a better job with the first screen as well. And I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he sets some illegal screens and gets called for turnovers and he doesn't always set a good first screen. So I guess the first ring, uh, first one as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I want to give some credit to Isaiah Stewart for doing some good things offensively in spite of the fact that we know he's limited and never going to be a dominant offensive player. He's never going to be the lob threat. He doesn't have much in terms of his individual he doesn't have a great hook shot. Doesn't really have a hook shot at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think after criticizing him pretty harshly a couple weeks ago, I, I just wanted to mention that uh, he's been knocking down some shots and doing some good things offensively and deserves a little bit of credit. No, absolutely. That that uh, 12 for 30 um, from three, that is really important as we head into the two big lineup that he remains willing to a take those shots and be like capable of making them. Um, I noted last game against Boston 
when uh, Dwayne Casey was making me pull my hair out by playing Corey Joseph, Isaiah Livers, <laughs> Hami, Duran, and Bagley all at the same time. And there's just like three dudes who can't shoot. Um, but like they were using Bagley as the spacing big in that lineup. Um, I don't think that's going to go as well. I have, I have much more confident in Stewart being able to space the floor than I do Bagley being able to space the floor. And so if they're going to play Stewart and Bagley together in the starting lineup, like we talked about, it's going to be really important for Stewart to be able to step out and hit those shots. Um, and like, they have some sets for him to, to do stuff like that. The there's like, just like your base, like pick and pop stuff. There's one play they run. Um, they have like Boyan or Sadiq, like come off a, a curl on the sideline. And then uh, as you know, those guys draw attention and teams still aren't thinking of Stu as a three point shot. So he just kind of like steps back and all of a sudden he's like wide open you can swing it to him, and, and if he can continue hitting those shots, it's like I think good things will come, and they'll be able to, you know, devise some offense around the fact that like Stu is a capable uh, three point shooter. So yeah, absolutely. Let's let's give B Stu a little love um, before the end of the podcast. Uh, oh, I to- I totally forgot. I wrote this down. Last thing, uh, the city editions, the the jerseys honoring the Saint Cecilia's gym, um, the infamous uh, gym in Detroit where uh, a lot of Detroit like legends play basketball. Uh, they, they came out. What do, you, what do you think of the jerseys, Ben? I really like the story. I like the mm-hmm. heritage. I don't love that they're green. <laughs> That's about all I got to say. I mean, they look, they, look, they look cool enough. They're just they're green, which is weird. I like that they're green because I like green. <laughs> <laughs> they're but, mint green, at least, I guess yeah, you could say. That's fair. I am, but I agree with you that like green is not a Pistons color, yeah, despite so the fact that I like it. So I, as much as I like them, I like the fact that they're not going to wear them like every other game, right? Like this is going to be a very much a special occasion thing. But like you mentioned, I do love the history. I do love yeah. the, um, the, yeah. the, like the homage to like something that's very uniquely Detroit. You, yeah. you look at a lot of other teams like City Edition jerseys, and they're just like. It's like what is what even is this like yeah. why so it's nice to have a, a story behind it of, of some sort for yeah, sure absolutely and the more that i think the more they can feature the story and let other other states and teams and fan bases know about the story i mean i think that's that's where it's at like that the story is more important than the jersey really so that's for sure cool. for sure all right ben the pistons play the raptors at home on monday easy win we own the raptors <laughs> kidding uh, and then they, then the six game road trip we talked about starts. They play the Clippers on Thursday, so at least they have a couple days off uh, for traveling. They play the Clippers on Thursday, the Lakers on Friday on a back to back, but you're not traveling, so it's like okay, that's fine. And then the, they play the Kings on Sunday. So Ben, West Coast road trip. How many of the games are you actually going to stay up and watch live? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> Zero. These will all be recorded. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and watch the Lakers game because I'm pretty sure they might actually stand a chance in that one. Right. But uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a struggle struggle two weeks for uh, the dads on the DBB podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you think they can take that uh, that Lakers game? Do you think there's there a chance we win like one of these like Lakers Kings games this week and we have one more win to like hang our hat on? I think so. I mean, the Lakers are so bad. I mean, they're they're so bad, and LeBron is like already hurt. Yeah, and Father Time is is undefeated, and I think I mean this is the this is the season that LeBron is is Father Time's catching him. I mean, Anthony Davis is still 
good ish. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean beyond that, I mean the Lakers roster is just terrible. So I yeah. think it's this could be the one. Yeah, I'm I'm staring that one down too. Um, the the Lakers have the same problem the Pistons do, where nobody on their roster can shoot, but they're also not good on defense. <laughs> <laughs> and so like it'll it'll just be interesting to see like someone's gonna hit like 15 threes in that game, not like an individual, but like the team is gonna make like 15 threes, and it's just like a matter of who is gonna is gonna really determine uh, whether or not the the Pistons are able to take that one. All right, Ben, good pod. Uh, for a one in three week featuring two <laughs> blowout losses to Boston, uh, it's pretty good. Somehow uh, we managed to talk about this team for forty five minutes every week, even it, though they're terrible. It's, it's, it's almost like we have a lot of practice talking about right. Terrible team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At least we're veterans, seasoned, died in the wool for sure. <laughs> uh, where can uh, where can people find you? Where can people talk to you about uh, this terrible team? DetroitBadBoys.com. Always hit me up in the comments for the podcast posts. I appreciate your feedback, everyone who listens. At BR Golker on Twitter, but the morning after the games will be <laughs> the best place for the first year of the future. Oh, yeah. Well, people will be able to tell when you're watching because you'll be like, you'll be actually tweeting about the game. That's but true. not during the game. That's true. Maybe first halves. Maybe first half. Those The second halves, though, I'll be snoozing. Yeah. And we're going to need some, some coffee or some hot chocolate or something. <laughs> Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. I am also around in the podcast comments. I'm reading all the comments on all the all the stories. Um, shout out to whoever on in our comments was like, uh, Cade has been much less efficient. If you can force him left or make him shoot from the left side of the floor, uh, that was that was a really pointed bit of insight. Yeah, and uh, interesting because that's usually not the case for right-handed players. That's very yeah. interesting to me. I was like, you usually, yeah, you set up the left to go right, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but that's the more you, natural. Yeah, more natural. So yeah, that was that was interesting, and it makes me it makes me happy that like we have such a uh, we such have a like a spectrum of analysis and opinions on Detroit Bad Boys. It makes me makes it makes me feel good to like read those comments and and think about the game in the way other people are are thinking about the game for sure. So shout out to you guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you all next week after nap time.